I hope that we can see what makes us all the same instead of different in the future. There are just a lot of big things to, to unpack that are in relation to voting. And I never, ever thought about this before. It's really interesting. I think it's a conversation we should all have. a micro-series in Theatre Simple's podcast, Park Bench. For our first topic, we are exploring voting, one's culture around voting. Not necessarily one's political affiliations, but how one thinks about the idea of voting, what the act of voting means for different Americans. We've got thoughts from folks age 11 to 93 from across the U.S. and even overseas. Park Bench is an interactive public art piece that often resembles a tiny park on a rolling hill where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat from a slightly different perspective. But COVID-19 has impacted our art, so we adapt. This episode, you'll hear recorded phone conversations and cell phone recorded voice memos. We've had so many enthusiastic and inspiring submissions that we're splitting this first topic of voting into two episodes. We found it reassuring to hear similar statements and philosophies from both sides of the political aisle. And we acknowledge and accept there are deep challenges still to be tackled and resolved around these ideas of representation and even who is allowed to vote. But listening to these voices, we believe we as a country have many more commonalities than differences. For now, here is episode one of COVID Conversations, Voting. I have a, a sense of duty as a, as a citizen and then also as an adult. It feels like voting is a thing you do when you're an adult. So am I planning to vote in the next election? Absolutely. There is no way I would not participate in the upcoming U.S. elections. This year, perhaps more than ever, it's just not an option for me to not make sure the collective voice is as loud and as clear as possible. And I can't even tell you how many hours I might have kept track if I had known I was going to be doing this, but I don't even know how many hours I spent um, preparing to vote this year. (laughs) And identify myself as a empowered minority woman. I am a privileged, middle-aged, middle-class white dude who grew up in a relatively standard and stable Midwestern American family. Caucasian woman, um, age 59, I think. (laughs) I'm located in Seattle, Washington. I am currently in London, UK, and by currently, I mean for most of the last 14 years. I am in West Bloomfield, Michigan, which is outside of Detroit in the United States. I went to, I grew up in Hawaii. I went to an all-girls school, and they really emphasized the value of that women can do anything. And then we learned about the 19th Amendment, about women getting the right to vote. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, first of all, 19 is not, that's kind of a high number. Like, it's not within the first 10 amendments. It's 19. And secondly, women didn't have the same rights as men to vote until way later. That doesn't make any sense. Then I was kind of really excited about voting because I felt like there were all these women in history who had fought for us to have equal rights and to be able to vote. And I vote because because I want to kind of honor that they, they fought for us to have that right. 
fortunate that Washington State makes absentee voting easy, and in my 14 years abroad, I've only missed a handful of local or special elections. There's similar reasons for participating in the UK. Um, after years of being officially an immigrant with no sway over the rules affecting my life, uh, now that I have citizenship, voting isn't compulsory, but I understand better what a huge privilege and responsibility it is to actively take part in that process to the extent we're able. So I have to do it. It's almost compulsory for myself. Voting was was a pretty prominent big deal in my home, in my family. My elementary school at the time was a voting polling location. And so when they brought in these big booths, I remember that I was just fascinated with those booths. I just thought it was such, you know, something that you kind of attained to, like one day you get to go in there. I think it was really my family, just something that they did, and they always brought me or modeled that for me. I feel like just a tiny drop of water in a lake will start the rings going and going and going, and I feel like that's kind of what my vote is. It might be just a, a tiny little drop in the bucket, but if we all do that, it makes a big difference. If we want to continue to be a free people and have a say in what happens, we have to take the responsibility to vote and to vote honestly. I think democracy is an extremely important uh, development in government. It totally depends on people voting. It depends on people being informed and intelligent enough to make good decisions. It keeps the country alive. It's the blood in the veins of the country is voting. Uh, there's to me nothing more important to do. You know, they explained it to me. They're like, yeah, this is voting. This is what you do as, as citizens, as community members. This is what you do. Kind of like in religious communities when they talk about tithings. It's, it's an expectation that you will be doing it and you will. I am a 76 year old white female that lives in a small Midwestern town in a flyover state of Ohio. I consider myself basically an artist and a writer. I'm a 93-year-old white male. I am round, brown, and close to the ground. I was very excited about it. I don't have a lot of details. It's mostly the feeling. There was a group of us that went together to, to vote. We were all excited. It was our first time to get to vote, and it was a big thing, big deal. You know, I mean, this was Vietnam. This was race riots. This was all kinds of stuff happening. I'm not sure this answers your question directly, but my oldest memory of voting goes back to when I was about five and a half years old, and it was the Herbert Hoover, Franklin Delano Roosevelt election in 1932. Voting always in my family was a big event from the very beginning, and this was a huge event. And I'm sure it's because the Depression was in full swing, and my uncle had built a crystal set, which is kind of a very primitive radio. And we could just barely get sound from Los Angeles. I could hear the scratchy voices off in the distance giving the election results, and it was a, a major a major evening in our family. I am planning on voting in this next election for a lot of reasons, but I mean, really it comes down to what it always comes down to for me. Um, as a dark-skinned black woman, too many people have fought 
died in this pursuit of making my voice heard. You know, when we think about what America wrote in the Constitution and its declarations, it wasn't meant for black people and it wasn't meant for women. So this is how I get, I ensure that my voice is heard. People are often criticizing the Black Lives Movement and saying, well, that's, that's, not, that's not how you do it. That's not how you get your voice heard. Well, great. You didn't like it when we were kneeling. You didn't like it when we were protesting. You didn't like it when we brought it up in the HR office. You didn't like it when we brought it up in staff meetings. So when exactly is my voice supposed to be heard? Voting is that moment. I, I believe that voting is not an option. It is something that one must do as a citizen. And so everywhere I've lived, I've always voted. I've always been registered and I've always voted. Okay. I didn't vote in a primary last year and I, uh, that probably was the first election in which I had not voted in 40 years. I grew up in a family that uh, didn't watch the news didn't try to keep up on current events through most of my life. Voting was something that was talked about, but not something that really seemed to matter. And nowadays, I see voting for the importance that it is, especially in uh, our present climate in the United States. We've seen kind of the importance of sending our voice and sharing our thoughts through this system. It was very important because in my family, they always voted because it's your way of making your point of view real. This year, I, I'm concerned because I see lots of evidence of voter intimidation and voter suppression I'm troubled by that. I and that's that's putting it very mildly. I'm I'm deeply deeply concerned by that. Older retired female living in Duluth, Minnesota. African American, 26 years old, Mukilteo, Washington, United States of America. I am an 83 year old, fairly well functioning woman. I am a 57 year old white male. I live in uh, Illinois. One grandmother had been the first kindergarten teacher in the city of Cleveland. She was from England. My grandmother had become an American citizen. But what just blew me away was my grandmother could not vote until she was 52. She was the grandmother who walked in suffragette parades in downtown Cleveland. The ladies had to wear white dresses and white stockings and white shoes. The police officers on their large police horses always rode at the front of the parade. But it was not really to protect, protect the dainty damsels who were marching in the suffragette parade. It was because it was to make the ladies have to walk through the horse manure in their white shoes. And there would be people on the sidewalk yelling at them, men, to go home and bake cookies or something like that. So it took, it took some guts to do that. There's a lot of people that are threatened by the choices of the people that are elected. And that's kind of what got me to vote in the last couple years after some conversations like that to ensure that the other people in my life are kept safe. And 
I am African American, but I've been blessed with a life where I haven't had to face as many hardships as other people in my community. We all have the right to vote. And if you don't use that, if you don't do that, then you really can't or shouldn't complain about what occurs because it's the voting that determines who runs our country. There's something awe-inspiring when I think about the history. For a long time, only men who owned property could vote, and that expanding over time to women and to people of color, that process feels sacred. I know that for some groups in this country that the, the process of being able to vote was hard fought. And so there's, there's some awe that I get from that. This is my 10th presidential election. And that means my first was the Carter-Reagan presidential election in 1980, uh, all the way through to Biden-Trump, never missed one, always totally engaged. It is really interesting to be part of such a divisive and important one. I'd say the outcome of this is probably going to decide a lot more than the outcomes of presidential elections in the past. I'm just like doing my duty to vote as a citizen. And I also was just wondering like why... Young people don't vote more often. Like, not that hard. It's like 10 minutes to fill out your ballot, maybe a couple more minutes for some research, and then mail it in. It means that I can have a voice, uh, that I can assist in change in our government. I can also assist in keeping um, going what's working in a community. My experience and my understanding of the importance of voting was instilled in me by my father at a very early age. He was very involved in politics, and he was constantly expressing to me the importance of voting. He always said, if you don't vote, you have no right to complain. White male, 60 years old, live in Tacoma, Washington, in the United States. White male, 20 years old, Going into my junior year at Santa Clara University, down near San Jose. I am an American citizen aged 58 with Native American and European ancestry, and I live in Redmond, Washington. I'm a 76-year-old white man. I live in Seattle, Washington. Voting has always been important to me, thanks to my father. To this day, I have voted in every single election, whether it's midterm or presidential or any local elections. Thanks, Dad. You're the one that instilled the importance of this in my personality. I appreciate that. I do have a very clear uh remembrance of a conversation with my father. So when I was not of voting age, my father asked me what my opinion was about a politician's stance on a particular subject. I don't remember what it was. And I said I didn't feel like I had the right to say because I hadn't voted. Well, that 
it was a pivotal moment for me because my dad um, told me in, in no uncertain terms that I didn't have to vote in order for uh, someone who was holding office to work for me. That was their job, was to work for every single citizen. As a resident of Washington, I really don't think my vote's going to make a difference in the presidential election, seeing as it's a pretty set blue state. But, like, I'm not going to not vote, because if everyone felt like that, then no one would vote. But I think, like, in the local elections, I'd play a greater decision-making difference on my vote. In a blue state like Washington, and if you are voting for a Democrat, it, it doesn't feel like it makes a difference. And I'm sure that if you're a Republican in a blue state, it doesn't feel like you're making a difference either. On the other hand, I think the little uh, grain of sand by sand by sand is what makes a beach. It's what all adds up. And the accumulation of that is how we express ourselves. And to me, that's just super important. Even if I am only one grain of sand, it, I, it all adds up. You're 11. Yeah. So you don't have a long history of voting? No. I I can't. If you could say something to people who can vote, what would you like to say to them? Do your research before you vote for someone. Don't just vote for whoever seems best on the surface. Keep things straight and equal. Look them up. Pay more attention to what they're doing. The bigger thing for me was that I had a very difficult time believing that I should vote and have a voice if I wasn't going to do all the research on all the different aspects of what I was voting for. Actually, I had a two-party household um, growing up, and um, everybody voted, both my parents voted, and all my kind of aunts and uncles around me, as far as I was aware of, cousins that were older were voting. Um, it was in the conversation. It was okay to be on different sides of things. Uh, it was okay to have debates. But it was mostly more important than anything was to be informed. If you're going to just debate and not be informed, you would be more criticized for not being informed than you would be for your differing opinion. So my sister and I, we grew up in Hawaii, and we were Japanese-American, and everyone in Hawaii looked like us. So in a sense, we grew up as the majority. It's been really interesting to live in the mainland in the lens of someone who is a minority. And I think if I had grown up in the mainland and not in Hawaii, and I had experienced racism and how you are in a flawed system that is not, it's not positioned for you to succeed. I don't know if I would vote. It seems kind of like a joke to be like, please vote in a system that kind of disenfranchises you. Even just like vocalizing your opinion, right? Like as a minority, sometimes being vocal and saying how you feel can get you killed or can get you in jail or you're treated very differently people's relationship to voting is is deep-seated with the culture they grew up in. So it's been really interesting to have these conversations because uh, I've never really thought about how voting kind of unfolds into this whole other 
issue about, you know, your identity and culture, I guess. I had a, a high school government and history teacher who was so inspiring. I, I remember more of the uh, sort of the philosophical background to why this matters coming from this one inspirational teacher. I'm disappointed in the watering down of public education. And I think when civics, which always should be a required subject in school, because that tells us what our government is about, why it's important to vote and that sort of thing. And when that was removed as a requirement for public education, I think that was pulling out one of the supports of our of our democratic system. I think that was a very serious mistake. Kids growing up having no idea what the electoral college is or uh, even which two branches of government exist. It's, it's pretty serious. You know, I feel like the electoral college is um, similar to maybe like electing a representative for your state. Like, it speaks on your behalf, but not directly for you. I disagree that the electoral college should be the final decider. Um, it's like we have the popular vote. A vote one way or vote the other way. It's not that hard to count up. I think that really is what the Senate is for. Why do we have to do that in two of our systems? Because ultimately, not only does the Senate, and then we're going to add to that to allow the presidency to have that same uh, disproportionately weighted election yeah. process. A Wyoming citizen's vote has 3.6 times more say than a California resident's does. I totally agree that like the balance between Senate and uh, House of Representatives is a really good one, but I think that's about all we need in terms of disproportion. <laughs> it seems like we're handing over more of the three branches of government to disproportional electoral systems than is appropriate. Well, I started working the elections after I retired from teaching. I had free time and I wanted to do various kinds of volunteer work. I notice in this election that there are threats about uh, poll watchers, poll guardians, whatever, to come in and, and make sure that nothing's going wrong. Well, most places have it now set up so that it's very hard for anything to go wrong. And in the state of Minnesota, you have to be registered with the city to be a poll watcher, and you can't interfere with anybody who is processing their ballot, but you get to sit there and watch and make sure that there's nothing nefarious going on. In Minnesota, there never is. So people who <laughs> think they're going to come into the precinct and watch and catch us doing all these evil deeds end up being very bored after about 20 minutes. I'm fortunate to hold dual citizenship in both the U.S. and the U.K., and I'm eligible to vote in both places, so I do. Uh, I often joke that dual citizenship means I can get wound up about politics on two continents. Here in Ohio, you can mail in your ballot, or you can go to the polling place on election day, or you can go to the uh, bureau there in the county seat, which is what I did. I, I wanted to make sure my vote counted because it means a lot to me. So this past Friday, I drove to the county seat and I parked my car and walked a couple blocks in a questionable neighborhood because 
I was going to vote, and I did. The women's right to vote, the 19th Amendment, and how when we talk about the 19th Amendment and Susan B. Anthony, you know, we, we talk, oh, look at all of these these white women who helped us get here. When in fact, it, it was a lot of women across a lot of different races. But for black women, it actually wasn't a thing. You know, it wasn't until 1960s that we actually, actually got the right to vote, that our country would actually let us, would allow us to vote. I always felt a, a deep regard and a deep, I guess, almost obligation that there was a lot of people that suffered sometimes and struggled. That's usually the thing that'll get me out the door. So I think back on the fact that, hey, you know, there are people that, that couldn't vote and they came here so they could. And even when they got here, many of them had to struggle in order to vote, whether that was African-Americans or women. Um, and, and, you know, there's still struggles once you got on the shore to get those rights. And so I guess I always felt like I was, in a sense, carrying some of that. I know it sounds a little hokey, but it is what drives me out the door sometimes. You know, I'm still really unpacking how I feel about voting. It's still a privilege. It's not a basic human right. And the reason why it is a privilege is because the idea of voting and participating is kind of this what it means to be American is so much more than, again, mailing in your ballot and filling those bubbles in. It has to do with the context you grew up in, how the society or the system that you're voting in and voting for treats you, and how you feel like your vote will make an impact and how your voice will make an impact. So important to me, the issue of where we are as a nation and uh, the way we conduct ourselves when there is the final count. I, I, I'm very upset and concerned about the way some of this has gone uh, since the last election. And I feel like we need to get back to being able to say, I'm proud to be an American because when we change from one party to another, it's peaceful. I think this election, that the future, the entire democratic system hangs on this election. I think this is a very serious time, challenging democracy, the lack of respect for political institutions, historical institutions by the White House is really, really dangerous. And if the incumbent wins, will be doubly empowered in the next four years. And I say bye-bye democracy. Voting has definitely been a interesting journey. And I'm happy to be where I am now to own my self-worth in it and say, okay, even if I don't know everything, I know some of these things that directly go against my values and it's worth voting against those things, even if you don't have the complete knowledge of how everything affects everything else. Um, in our system. To me, the most exciting time, it was a rainy day here, and uh, the polls open at 7, and you can't let anybody in before 7. Much to our amazement, when we got here at 6 to start setting up, there were already 20 people outside standing in the rain waiting to come in and vote. 
which was just unheard of. We processed 45 people casting their ballots in half an hour, and the flood never stopped. It was just in in this senior citizen white Minnesota precinct, the, the response was just thrilling, just thrilling. It made me cry, actually. I do it because it matters. Uh, <clears throat> voting at the national level may or may not actually influence the outcome, but it means I've taken part. Voting at the local level is hugely important, and that's where I think I can have an influence and where I'm actually more likely to really feel the influence of the outcome. Uh, even though I live abroad, I own property in the U.S., and what happens at the local level still can have a really direct, very direct impact on me. Um, I still have friends and family there who feel those impacts as well, so I want to stay engaged with that. And in my mind, if I've cast my vote, I then have license to be upset about the outcome and what happens after. Just like the lottery ads say, you can't win if you don't play, I firmly believe that you can't complain if you don't participate in the process to have a say. I don't know. For me, uh, climate change is the biggest one because, um, I don't know, if we don't get that one figured out and the world destroys itself, then nothing else is really going to matter because we'll all be dead. Uh, like race equity and just like conquering racism in the country, which has been long overdue for like 200 years or something like that. I think some ones to focus on after that are, I don't know, like reducing hyper-partisanship and, I don't know, encouraging empathy between the parties and just people in general. I think one that'll like reduce gridlock and make government a lot more effective, but also just make people more at peace, the country more at peace. I believe we need to to get people in place who take science seriously for reducing and mitigating the the COVID nineteen crisis. It's surreal. <laughs> that, that there are folks who actively disregard it. Incentivize the marketplace to turn green, you know, figure yeah. out everything that we can possibly do in the marketplace through through tax code or um, other government investment incentives or whatever it is to accelerate uh, our getting uh, carbon neutral as soon as we possibly, possibly can. My issue is, and, and I hate to, I hate to have to even say that it, it, it's an issue or that it's something that I have to work towards, but it is continuously reminding people, informing people, of why my black life matters. We say black lives matter for a whole myriad of things. People have it posted in their shops. Um, people have it in their theaters. People have it on t-shirts. And, and it's a cute look for everybody right now. After three months, people got tired of it. Guess what? It's my black life. I don't get to get tired of it. And, and I don't understand why, why that's an issue. Saying that somebody's life matters. You want it for you. Why can't I want it for me? We all have free will and that we all have different ideas, and that's okay, and that, that actually makes us better. The two-party system makes us better. It frustrates me a bit this election cycle that um, sometimes there's the whole, you know, idea that 
we better not say anything because <laughs> you might yeah. rile somebody or somebody might be upset. Um, I, I just still kind of tend to find myself pushing forward on that because I think the risk is worse to not be having conversations uh, long term. I think the risk is is more dangerous to have anybody feel like that they have to be silent or that maybe I shouldn't talk, so therefore I won't learn anymore. Listening to COVID Conversations, Episode 1, Voting. And many, many thanks to all of the amazing people who recorded their thoughts for us. Really considering the depths of what a vote can represent and the many nuanced underpinnings and assumptions. If you would like to be a part of a future conversation, check out our website at theatersimple.org. You'll find a link to COVID Conversations under Podcasts. The next topic, unpack the idea of being a citizen for us or citizenship. And how do they relate for you? The deadline is early November 2020. Our music is the work of the amazing Rob Whitmer and the sublime Chandra Cogburn. You can find links to more of their work in the show notes at our website. These COVID conversation interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland. Hey, that's me. And Andrew Litsky, who is also the editor extraordinaire for Park Bench. Thanks so much for listening. And we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Yes, we hope to see you on the Park Bench. Until then, have a digital seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.